Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 38 of The SCO Show. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. It's been a bit of a slow time here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. Into and out of a bye week, things slowed down a bit, but it's time to get our heads around the Philadelphia Eagles. The New England Patriots set up for what could be a critical stretch of games over the next couple of weeks, and it gets underway this Sunday down at Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field with the New England Patriots taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're going to start a lot of Eagles coverage today, but first, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schoolfield on Twitter. Check out the work at a variety of places inside the pylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Yes, that trio of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation. Yes, an Eagles website where, yes, I in fact covered the Eagles a little bit by hosting or co hosting the QB Sco show with Michael J. Kiss. We're actually going to talk about that show in a minute. And of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. We're going to get film room pieces for me as well as the SCO show. Now, I also did want to mention another place I do work for. The Rivals Network. The Minnesota Rivals Network. Yes, I cover your 9-0, our 9-0. Minnesota Golden Gophers coming off a huge win this weekend at home against Penn State. 9-0 for the first time in a long time. Are the Gophers playoff bound? Well, they'd have to probably, you know, win the Big Ten West first and then get past Ohio State. But Gophers fans can dream. But yes, I even do some work over there. So, like I said, a lot of places where you can find me. But let's talk Eagles. A little bit later, I'm going to dive into their run game. We're going to spend some quality time with the Eagles run game. Nerdy football stuff a little bit later. But first, we're going to start with Carson Wentz. And I don't think I need to establish or reestablish my bona fides when it comes to Mr. Carson Wentz. But just in case you've been living under a rock for the past couple of years and now you're suddenly deciding that I'm going to come out from this rock and listen to a football podcast hosted by this guy I don't know. Okay, that's an interesting way to go about things. But for that one person that might be out there, I was one of many sort of in on the Carson Wentz hype train before it became a thing at North Dakota State. His junior year, when nobody was really studying him, I was writing about him that summer. Matt Waldman and I did a film room the night before his first game, his senior year, back when nobody really thought he was going to amount to much. He was just an intriguing guy to study. Then I remember writing a piece about a, a drive he led against Northern Iowa, and I went on the air, radio show in Fargo, and said... You know, he's playing well. He's probably a day two guy, but maybe if he gets a senior bowl invite, which I think he's going to get, maybe he moves up in the conversation into a early day two guy, ends up being the second quarterback taken. And it's one of the more recent examples of somebody sort of catching fire throughout the draft process. And it also stresses the importance of the senior bowl, which again, we're going to cover wall to wall here at the Pats Pulpit Podcast Network, where... People had their reservations about seeing Carson Wentz on film, but then they saw him in person. They saw the player. They saw the leader. They saw the quarterback. They got to know him a bit, and it was clear. Like, look, I remember walking into Lad Peebles on the Wednesday of his Senior Bowl week. I had just landed in Mobile. It was my first time down there. I didn't know what I was doing, and I saw him zipping passes through a cold, raw, rainy day 
next to guys like Cody Kessler. And it's like, this guy's legit. He can spin it. But now, obviously, there are some concerns. And again, I have the benefit of covering the Eagles for Bleeding Green Nation. So I get a lot of Eagles fans interacting with me on Twitter and elsewhere, asking questions about Carson Wentz. I've watched all of Carson Wentz this season. And he remains an interesting quarterback to study and to think about and to sort of wrap your mind around. Now, one of the areas that stands out with Carson Wentz is sort of the double-edged sword of Carson Wentz. And Benjamin Solak over at Bleeding Green Nation wrote a fantastic piece about this conundrum with him, which is his willingness to play and to fight until the whistle and even beyond the whistle is part of what makes Carson Wentz great. And I've talked about this on this show before. But it's also a bit of a double-edged sword because it's led to some injuries. It's led to the knee injury and some of the back injuries that he's suffered. It was something that Matt Waldman and I highlighted when we did that film room on a play against Illinois State in the national championship game, the FCS national championship game, his junior year. He scrambles, he tries to run somebody over, and he fumbles. Now they recover it, but it's an example of what not to do. And Matt and I talked about how he's going to have to do a better job at protecting himself when he gets to the NFL. Otherwise, we might see a career cut short due to injury. And we might be on that path. That's part of what Ben Solak makes. That's part of the argument Ben Solak makes in his fantastic piece, which I would highly recommend. But I want to talk about something different with Carson Wentz. And longtime followers of my work, back to the locked-on Patriots days, you remember the run-up to last year's Super Bowl. And I said that the one phrase that the Patriots defenders have to have in their minds going up against Jared Goff is this, exploit the hesitation. Because there were times when Goff just didn't trust his eyes, didn't trust what he was seeing. And maybe it's a result of perhaps being coddled by Sean McVay, but he wasn't quite willing to throw the ball we needed to. And I said that there was going to be a moment in this game where he's going to hesitate and the Patriots either exploit that or they don't. And if they exploit it, they might win this game. And what happened, friends? The deep post route to Brandon Cooks, that could have been a game-changing touchdown, and Goff doesn't pull the trigger when he should. They exploit the hesitation. Pass is broken up by Jason McCourty. Patriots go on and win. And now the Rams look like a mess. Sort of that post-Patriots Super Bowl loss train wreck that we've seen with some recent teams. Atlanta being another example. There's a similar opportunity in front of the Patriots defense this week, but it comes from a different place. Those of you who haven't followed the Eagles to the extent that I have this year might not be aware of sort of the frustration in and around Philadelphia, particularly on the outside looking in with their wide receivers. You may have seen weeks ago a video of a man on the streets of Philadelphia who had come across the scene of a fire. And he was talking about how people were trying to save people from the burning building. And they were literally throwing young children and babies out of the windows. And the guy looks in the camera and says, and they were catching him. And then he looks back at the camera and says, unlike Aguilar. That's the extent to which the frustration with the Eagles wide receiver room has sort of permeated into and around Philadelphia. And it's also got into the head of Carson Wentz a bit. A couple weeks ago, on the QB Sco Show, Michael Kist and I talked about the Haas concept, familiar territory for most of you, and it's something that is in the Eagles playbook. 
I actually did a video over at Bleeding Green Nation that I'll tweet out again, breaking it down. And one of the things that we got into was answering a question we had asked the week prior because we debated how we would see evidence that Wentz is starting to see doubt in his receivers and how we would start to see that creep into his mind and reflect his play. And if you go back to their Sunday night game against the Dallas Cowboys, there is a play early in that game where they run Haas, and it's to the left side of the field where he's going to throw a hitch route to Alshon Jeffrey. And he double clutches it. And then he throws it late. It's off the mark. He gets hit. There's a rough in the passer penalty. But that right there, that play, is Carson Wentz hesitating, not trusting what he's seeing. And it stems from this sort of lack of confidence that he has right now in his receiving targets. He has been plagued by drops, missed opportunities, and that passing game has not been as good as it could be as a result. And yes, part of it is a failure by the receivers to execute, but now we've got doubt creeping into the mind of Carson Wentz, and he's starting to hesitate on plays when he needs to be getting the ball out quicker, where we've sometimes seen him do that. In the video that I did, I highlighted him running Haas concepts where he's got no hesitation whatsoever. But here against Dallas a couple weeks ago, you see that hesitation. Now, he fixed it a couple weeks ago against the Bills. They went into New Era Field, and they beat Buffalo, and you saw a bit more decisiveness from Carson Wentz. But then they had some drops again against Chicago, and now they've had their bye, and they've had two weeks to sort of think about it. And so there might be another instance, another opportunity for the New England Patriots and their vaunted defense to exploit the hesitation from a young quarterback, a quarterback who was drafted one pick behind Jared Goff, who they beat in last year's Super Bowl. Now, while the hesitation may come from a different place, the result is the same. The ball doesn't come out when it needs to. The ball doesn't come out when it should. And it matters. How do we know it matters? Think back to the New England's game against Buffalo this year. And what the Patriots defenders were saying in the wake of that game, they were asked, why did Buffalo's offense seem to have more success with Matt Barkley on the field? And what did they say? Because the ball was coming out quicker. It was coming out when it should. And when that happens, it can be sometimes tough to defend route concepts, even things you're familiar with covering, like the Haas concept that the Patriots defense has probably seen 8 million times thanks to training camp. And even though you might have the better talent in your secondary versus their receivers, if the ball is coming out when it should, it's sometimes very difficult to defend that. Will the ball come out when it should on Sunday afternoon? That remains to be seen. Up next, some quality time with me, you, and the Eagles run game. That's ahead on episode 38 of the SCO Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 38 of the SCO Show. Going to spend some quality time now with you, me, and the Eagles running game. A little bit later this week, we'll have Michael Kist on to talk about the Eagles. But for now, let's talk about their run game. And it's an area of concern, let's be honest, because in the wake of New England's loss at Baltimore, we are wondering, as a fan base, where is this run defense? Is what we saw from Baltimore just an anomaly? Are they just a unique Russian attack that is going to be difficult to defend for any team? But when you get back to a more standard ground game, the defense is going to step up. 
What are we going to see Sunday? And so there's a piece going up, a companion piece to this podcast over at Pat's, Pat's Pulpit on Wednesday where I break down the things that they do well in the ground. And I do want to start on unfamiliar territory for me, but with the interior of the offensive line, particularly center Jason Kelsey and right guard Brandon Brooks, who they just re-signed to a, a new deal. These guys are fantastic. And and writing about the Eagles ground game, as I've done now for a couple of different places, I often wonder if I should just drop everything and really just focus on Jason Kelsey in the interior because he is fantastic. And he and Brandon Brooks in particular work so well together. And in the piece, you will see some examples of processing speed on the interior offensive line. You know, For example, they have a run against the Dallas Cowboys in the game we were just talking about where they sprain Howard, Jordan Howard, for a 16-yard gain. And it's all due to the process and speed, awareness, and quickness from Kelsey and Brooks on the interior. Because the Cowboys, they put a shaded news tackle in the A-gap between the two of them. And then they blitz Jalen Smith, the linebacker, off-ball linebacker, right at the snap. But they read it perfectly. They block both defenders at the point of attack. They seal them off from Howard. And Howard is able to cut behind them into that crease for a 16-yard game. And Kelsey in particular is so effective at getting up to the second level of defenses. He works combination blocks extremely well. So whether it's he and Brooks or he and Isaac Similao, the left guard, hitting a combination block and then Kelsey getting to the second level, they do it extremely well. And so the interior of the Eagles' offensive line. That's where you should probably keep your eyes when the Eagles have the ball. I even make a point in the piece. Watch Jason Kelsey as much as you can because he is a fantastic center. And there's a reason that people like show favorite Doug Farrar put him into his like top 10 centers, top two centers, top center, pieces like that. It's because Kelsey is very good. So that's one area to watch. Another thing to watch, they have a very... They have a varied running attack, like many offenses do. They run a mix of counter, of gap and power, and of zone stuff. When they work inside on gap and power schemes, they like to pull guys, whether it's Brooks, whether it's Semelau, whether it's even some of the other guys, Lane Johnson. They're very effective at doing that. And both Howard and, yes, even Miles Sanders, their rookie running back out of Penn State, are showing tremendous trust in the guys in front of them, particularly Sanders, who's, again, getting used to running behind these guys. But in the piece that's going up over at Pat's pulpit, you will see evidence of him reading blocks in front of him, deciphering the flow of the play and making quick cuts that show incredible change of direction ability as well as field vision and awareness. And so he's going to be tough to defend as well as Howard on those sort of gap and power plays to the inside. Another thing that scares me with Howard is when they go outside zone with him, there's a danger of over-pursuing and exposing yourself to the cutback lane. Now, when a running back runs sort of outside zone or wide zone, they typically have what we call three reads. They read the blocking in front of them, and they can adjust their path in one of three different ways. If 
for example, the running back is running sort of outside zone to the left and he sees the block and set up perfectly to sort of go like off tackle, like straight on his path. That's what we call the bang read. If you see it open where your aiming point is, bang, you go and accelerate through that hole. And there's also what we call the bounce read. If you start to flow to the outside and you see the traffic get congested at your aiming point, which is sort of that you know outside hip of the left tackle, then you can bounce it to the outside. That's what we call the bounce read. You try to get to the outside, try to get the edge. If everybody's sort of collapsed in the interior, you accelerate to the outside, bounce it around them, and try to get yardage to the outside. But then there's that third read. It's what we call the bend read. That's the cutback lane where you start to see guys over-pursue. You get a good seal backside from that you know, blocker who's the last man on the backside, sometimes a tight end, sometimes a tackle. And if you see that opportunity for a cutback open up, you execute what we call your bend read. And there are two examples from their game against Chicago of Howard executing that bend read and bending runs back. And on one play in particular, you've got Zach Ertz, their tight end, doing a tremendous job against that backside edge defender, really sealing him off, and it's a huge hole that opens up. I mean, I could have run through this hole. That is something that scares me about when Jordan Howard is in the game because he has the vision to identify these cutback lanes and the ability to then exploit them with that one cut-and-go quickness that he has. And there's a concern in my mind that this Patriots defense is starting to think, or starting to hear at least, oh, they can't stop the run, Baltimore ran all over them. You might be aggressive, they might sort of over-pursue, and you open yourself up to cutback opportunities like that. There's also some interesting stuff, and this didn't make the piece, with what they do in the passing game. And I'm going to bring you back, Patriots fans, to a moment that probably is going to be a little nauseating. After Super Bowl 51, opening night, Thursday night, against Kansas City, when the Chiefs came to town and just ripped the Patriots apart. If you remember, one of the big plays in the second half was that touchdown throw to Kareem Hunt out of the backfield when he ran that seam route out of the backfield. And that's on a route design that you can sometimes call jet A go because you get jet motion in this example from Tyree Kill. Everybody overreacts to that. You run the running back on the seam route out of the backfield for a touchdown. Some people have taken a call on it Jello. I know Ben Fennell from the Athletic Wisconsin as well as Josh Cohen who works for CBS. They've called it Jello or it's jet all go or something like that. I've called it, you know, jet a seam. Whatever you call it, the premise is this. You get jet motion from one receiver. Everybody reacts to it. Running back out of the backfield on a seam route and it's wide open. The Eagles run that a ton, particularly with Sanders. And if you're in man coverage, like the Patriots tend to be, You're going to see situations with Sanders running that route concept out of the backfield against a linebacker. So it makes you wonder if they're going to perhaps treat Sanders at least as more of a wide receiver threat and put a safety on him or not. This sort of benefit to that or the saving grace perhaps is that the Eagles run a decent amount of 12 personnel. Matter of fact, They run 12 personnel 40% of the time. They've run it for 236 offensive plays this year. And that percentage, that 40 percentage, 
is more than any other team in the league. The next closest team, it's really two, tied with 31%. Tennessee is done at 31% of the time on 171 snaps. San Francisco, 31% of the time with 169. So there will be in a lot of two tight end packages with Ertz and Dallas Goddard. And so there's a, a chance, at least, that they might run this design out of 12 personnel, in which case you could be free to have more of a safety or defensive back type on Sanders than having, say, Kyle Van Noy or Dante Hightower on him. But also, if you're Doug Peterson, you look at the numbers too, and you might think, well, if they want to defend him with a corner or a safety, well, we'll run this sort of design out of 11, and then... What are you going to do? Either you're going to, you might be in a sub package then, in which case we'll just run the ball. So we're going to get a little bit of that chess match between Peterson and Belichick's squared, I guess, between Steve and Bill. But it's something to think about. And so this running game poses some unique challenges. It has a great interior between, you know, the center and the two guards, Brooks, Smalo, Jason Kelsey on the inside. You've got a running back in Jordan Howard that can exploit cutback lands on zone reads to the outside. You've got two running backs in Sanders and Howard that can trust what their guys are doing on the interior and the gap, counter, and power designs that they like to run. And you've got some receiving threats out of the backfield, particularly in Sanders, in particular on this sort of jet-all-go design. Now what's even scary, even scarier, is a play I'll leave you with now against Buffalo where they went with a two-running back look, a pony look, with both... Sanders and Howard in the backfield. And it's probably important to point out that, and I I forgot this point a minute ago, when they run that sort of jet all go, they sometimes do it with two backs in the backfield. And so that leads me to this play against Buffalo where they have the two backs in the backfield, but instead they run the ball. They hand it off to Sanders the right guard washes down a defensive tackle. Left guard Isaac Samalu takes care of another interior defender. Kelsey gets to the second level immediately. Howard leads the way. Sanders hits it for a huge touchdown run. So they do a lot offensively. They do a lot of the run game. They do a lot with their running backs. And they run a lot of 12 personnel. They're going to pose some problems for the Patriots' defense. I think we all know that. Whether the Patriots are ready to handle those problems remains to be seen. So that's a sort of look at the Eagles' offense. In tomorrow's show, I'm going to talk more about their defense, spend some quality time with Michael Kist. It's going to be a good week. Get you ready for this Eagles-Pats game. So that will do it for today. I will be back tomorrow. Until next time, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.